What's up gamers? I'm Tori Dominguez Peak. And I'm Noah Hertz. And welcome to Press Start. It's the video game podcast where I didn't prep anything funny. Uh you got anything? <sighs> yeah, you you'd think of right now I'd be prepping something funny. I know. Uh, you got you got you got to be prepped. It's... Uh no, I I hold on, let me look at hold the up. news items and see if I can find it's the it's the video game podcast where uh we don't like Ubisoft games that yeah, much. Yeah, it, it's it's the <laughs> as you'll learn, this is the video game podcast where we really don't give a shit about Ubisoft. We do not. We do um, not, but let's let's save that a little bit though. I want to jump into this first news item here that is a little bit more uh I don't know, optimistic at the very yeah. least. Yeah, let's so go for it. it is official. 300 QA testers at ZeniMax Media, which is the the company that is now owned by Microsoft, but ZeniMax owns Bethesda, Arcane, so like Dishonored, that kind of stuff, and id Software, so like Doom, Wolfenstein. And 300 QA testers there have officially unionized, and they are the first union in Microsoft and probably to my knowledge the biggest games union now so they haven't they haven't been formally recognized by microsoft yet as of the time of recording but they are they have all agreed overwhelmingly according to reps from the union to uh unionize there so real big stuff i think i was looking it up and ravensoft was only like 30 people I know Vadio Games, which was like the first games union last year, was pretty small too. So this is like, this is a really big deal. Uh, it will be really interesting to see how Microsoft reacts to this, especially since Microsoft is currently under the gun of whether or not they can even purchase Activision Blizzard. So Yeah, this I this is really exciting news to hear. Um, and what a good way to ring in the new year. 300 people. I know. That's, that's a good amount. Um, yeah. Yeah, I hope this is a a trend that continues in 2023 because I I think it's like really desperately needed change for this industry. So yeah, hell yeah, is it a max? It's funny we were talking about last week the uh, the triple click video game podcast where they talked about like their their uh, predictions for 2023, and I finally listened to it since then too. And I like that one of them was about more more unions. They were saying yeah. something about like a union at one of the big companies and. Like, I I don't know, you could make the argument that this doesn't quite count there since it's not at Microsoft proper, it's at a company Microsoft bought. But yeah. even still, like, the the jump in the number of people who were involved with this group of QA testers is really, really huge. Like, I read this really good quote. This is from a TechCrunch article about this that I'll drop in the description. This is from one of the folks who is involved. This is a senior quality assurance tester at id Software. And he said... QA testers are consistently placed at the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to game development to the point that we're not even considered game developers. And then he goes on and says, that's reflected in our pay and that's reflected in our work, especially with regard to crunch, which is like, we've talked about this, like for so, so long, that was like the quiet part that was just not settled. It was, it was like, you have to do your dues as a QA tester and you got to shut up and deal with it. But like the fact that people in this role are standing up and going like, no, we're game developers. We are integral to the game development process, and you're going to pay us as such. Is really awesome. Yeah, this is this is great news, and I I really I I don't know if I'm as confident as um, the host you were talking about. I believe it was Kirk that this will happen at a big studio because I'm I'm thinking back to that 
uh, those complaints made to Nintendo of America last yeah. year about the yeah. red badges versus the blue badges. Um, for those who don't know, back in September of last year, um, a Nintendo worker was fired. They filed a labor complaint and they alleged uh, like union busting activity and also unfair treatment of contractors versus permanent employees. And uh, yeah, so I, I think about stuff like that mm-hmm. and it makes me a little less optimistic. I don't think I don't think you're going to see it. If I had to bet money, I don't know if you're going to see a unionization in like a big studio like Nintendo mm-hmm. this year. But I do think you're going to start seeing more like indie and like uh, small to medium size yeah. do it. Or, like, or it's... maybe even stuff on the size of something like ZeniMax where it's yeah. like, like ZeniMax isn't small, but you're right. It's not like Nintendo big. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of like the opposite of trickle down. I think it's gonna actually like trickle, <laughs> trickle up. up, trickle that, up unionization. Yeah, yeah, trickle up unionization. That <laughs> that is what I'm predicting here, and that's what I hope for. Um, so another tentatively optimistic thing, oh. a big a big if true, if you will. <gasps> big if true. So on r slash gaming leaks and rumors on Reddit, which is where I saw this. Um, I don't think it was like the actual initial source. I think I saw this on Inverse once they were writing articles about the leak. So yeah. yeah. All right. So, uh, so long story short, a leak came out as an image. It was of a Tears of the Kingdom edition OLED switch. Um, I like so. There's two things to consider with this. The mm-hmm. first thing is it would kind of kill the whole idea of, like, a hardware upgrade coming with or following the new Zelda game. Yeah. I've kind of I've kind of accepted that at this point. But the cool thing is it's a, it's a Zelda OLED. Like, that, that fucking yeah. rips. Um, I, had, I had a Zelda 3DS, and I had a Zelda Wii U. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I, I love this. They made a Zelda Wii U. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, they had a Zelda Wii U. And... I, at least I think they did. I think I had one. There was a Zelda Wii U. I'll be yeah, damned. there was. Yeah. It was black, right? Yeah, it it's black, black and, gold. and it has like gold accent marks yes. of like the yep, the stuff around it. That's I cool. That's yeah. So, cool. so I I love a themed console and like Jesse and I have talked about like so here I'm just gonna say this because this is so fucking like obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Jesse and I kind of fought over the TV when we were playing Elden Ring. Like, it was really rough when you both have to split the same console and same TV when you're both playing, like, a fucking 100-hour game. Yeah. Um, Pre-Steam Deck, like, this This is what this is what we had. Um, and so we had a discussion about this last week, because we we pre-ordered the game already, Tears mm-hmm. of the Kingdom. Like, we, oh, we wow. put down our little, a little chunk of change at GameStop <laughs> while running some errands the other day. And Jesse was like... I don't want to have to fight you over this Zelda game because I know like this this shit's gonna be it for you. And I'm like, correct, this shit will literally be my Elden Ring. So yeah. like, what are we gonna do? And he's like, what if I just like bought or borrowed a switch light and then like got my own copy of Tears of the Kingdom and then we just yeah. like played it parallel and then when we're done with it, we like trade in one copy and one switch. Yeah. Like that that's kind of our vibe. 
That's really funny. That's funny yeah. you say that too because like I I mentioned that I got my girlfriend a Switch Lite for Christmas and so like one game she was playing a lot on my Switch was uh Going Under, the game by Agro Crab Games, the yeah. one that's like the roguelite game that's like skewering office culture. Um she had been playing that a bunch, but she had always said that like she felt kind of bad playing on my Switch because like I do play on my Switch quite a bit and she always felt like she was taking away from time I could have been playing. So I got her the light. I bought her a couple of games, including Going Under. And in a matter of like, she picked it up like a couple of days ago. And in a matter of like a week, she has already made it to the final dungeon. Surpassed however long oh she's gosh. been. And we were talking about it. And Gamer she was like, GF. Gamer GF. Yeah. She was like, I just don't feel as weird playing. Like, I don't feel, I don't feel like I'm taking away from you. I can just like hole up and play my little roguelite game all by myself. So, yeah. Like, it's, yeah. Jesse yeah, and I have had I a conversation that. because he got the uh, Pokemon Brilliant Diamond, like that oh, remake, yeah. a few, like, it was like several months ago. And he was playing yeah. it and I was like, hello, I'd like to play Fire Emblem. <laughs> Get off my console. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, with, with Zelda, I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I'm going to be a real like Switch hog about yeah. this so that's funny i just picked up a copy of brilliant diamond 2 i bought it from some guy on facebook marketplace for like that's, 25 that's bucks. Yeah, yeah that's the that's prime the area to play games did you get it in a public parking lot as god intended i did not i drove into a bougie gated neighborhood to go buy this from this person Ooh. i had to like give the person's name to get in there they were like oh who are you wow. here to see and i was like i'm here to see this guy and they were like okay and i was like i'm just trying to buy something from him <laughs> Like, yeah. which I probably shouldn't have said because that's sketchy as fuck. So. Yeah, that sounds a little weird. Not but uh, yeah, I did. I did leave with a Pokemon game, so I was pretty. I have. Yeah. I haven't messed with it too much, but I have like stuck it in my console, and I played like almost to the first gym. Like it's it's very cute. It's it's very really pretty. cute, and I like how it's yeah. orchestrated too. Yeah, I played the game yeah. in the airport a couple months back. Um, but yeah, if this if this Zelda OLED thing is a thing, I could totally see Jesse getting that, and then we each play our Zeldas separately, and then at the end we just sell my current Switch and just keep yeah. the OLED. That's that's an option. I imagine we'll probably hear soon whether or not this is real because. There's usually a Nintendo Direct in February. We're coming up on February. And if this game is supposed to come out in the first half of this year, like, we gotta be hearing something soon. So I'm imagining (laughs) we'll probably get either a Zelda Direct or a full Nintendo Direct. But it is interesting you said the thing about, like, a new Zelda OLED does kind of kill the potential for there to be, like, a Switch 2. And all signs from all of the supposed industry insiders point to there not being a Switch hardware update. And now there's this new thing that's come around in the last couple of days since we're recording. I guess this is last week. This initially broke. Yeah. I'm reading this from an article on thegamer.com. The Gamer. The um, Gamer. The one of, so this was one of the heads over at gamesindustry.biz said that He says, quote, I have heard that after Zelda, Nintendo doesn't have a significant game for quite some time. So it's people are suggesting that this might be the last major release for the Switch. And then it might go like, you know how there was that weird brief period where the Wii U and the 3DS existed in tandem. And the stuff that was coming out on the 3DS was like a port of the original Luigi's Mansion. And it's like, why are you releasing this? Why are you porting this onto a DS? Right. But like they were still putting stuff out. So like and I know we talked about this, like I have a really hard time imagining a world where Nintendo deviates that much in their next console design. But we could be approaching a universe where like 
we're about to go into a lull in the Switch's lifespan in the lead up to another piece of hardware. Or who knows, maybe this is just like, this is where Nintendo is feeling the the kind of rubber band effect of COVID. And maybe maybe now it's affecting it more. Like, who really knows? And Nintendo is so tight-lipped about stuff that I'm not sure we will ever know. Yeah, it's funny that you pointed out that there's usually directs in February because I have, like, I'm starting to develop, like, a Nintendo Direct Spidey sense where oh, yeah. I was just, like, thinking about it yesterday. Like, I was filling out this Google Doc and I looked at the calendar and I was like, hmm, January 11th. And my first thought was, like, I feel like there's going to be a direct in like four weeks <laughs> and like you just have it like right here. Like there's usually a direct in February. So like my, my intuition, my intuition is absolutely correct. Sense. Yeah. It's like, yeah. So this next thing isn't really a news item, but I just wanted to have a brief conversation about this. It's a, a hit tweet this is a hit tweet from Ash Parrish or at ad Astra on Twitter. Uh, Ash is, one of the video game reporters over at The Verge. So this tweet this tweet came along my feed the other day, and it's a line chart. I'll put a link to this in the descriptions because I'm not going to explain this well. Illustrating the lineage of the Final Fantasy development teams. So it starts at the very top with Final Fantasy VI and then uses this kind of like uh, family tree style di- diagram to show how the Final Fantasy VI dev team splintered into basically two different sides of Square yeah. Enix games. So, like, from Final Fantasy VI, there is a direct line to seven on one side of this tree and then Tactics on the other side of this tree. And so the Tactics team then goes on to make, like, nine, twelve uh, parts of the Tactics team go on to then make 14 and eventually 16. And then on the other side, you've got seven, eight, and then the eight team splinters, and you get Kingdom Hearts and Final Fantasy X, and eventually the ten team goes on to make thirteen. And part of the ten, like it's it's all the fracturing things like this. Yeah, so yeah. There's there's I, a so there's a Tetsuya Nomura half of this <laughs> yes, chart. Basically, basically. Yeah, I, yeah it, it, it is was, funny. Yeah, it is yeah. funny. I think you and I are both pretty firmly on the left half, the the Tetsuya Nomura, Nomura half that is like yeah. seven, eight splinters into Kingdom Hearts, ten, ten, two. Yeah. Final Fantasy Thirteen. It's it's funny because I was gonna say this too. Like I think you you are also solidly on the left side, the seven ten like Kingdom Hearts seven remake side. I would love to be a right Kit Kat Final Fantasy player though. Yeah, can we can we do these games on the political axes? I just really. Yeah, seven remake like authoritarian left. Like yeah, there we go. Absolute. Uh, nine is probably like a th- maybe authoritarian right, like a return to tradition type of thing, you know. <laughs> return with the V. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I I've it's funny because the games on the left side, like seven, ten, Kingdom Hearts, that's the stuff that like I got into naturally. Whereas the yeah. right side are the ones that I would really like to get into. Like Chrono yeah, Cross is on this side as well. Yeah. Tactics is a game that I've like beat my head up against a lot and never quite completed. Uh, Nine is another one that I've started several playthroughs and never made it super far into. It's like you can see, you can see and trace like the ones that have a really heavy focus on political intrigue, and then the ones that have a really heavy focus on like friendship and the more like esoteric themes of like Kingdom Hearts and the Seven remake and stuff. So 
uh, write in and let us know what Final Fantasy. Yeah, we, we're gonna put this in the are. show notes. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting. So I've never played Final Fantasy X, even though everyone has recommended it to me. Oh, my, you would you would love it. My yeah. brother has the remake, and there is one day. This is such a Florida thing to say. There was one day in July where my parents' ace unit just like kicked the fucking bucket, which is that always happens in Florida. There was one day in July where like your ace unit is just like I'm I've seen the light. And yeah. you go through like three days of hell where you're just like boiling in your house and like living mm-hmm. at Barnes and Noble or whatever. <laughs> so it's like a core childhood memory. But so this happened one time when I was in high school and uh, my parents were like, hey, we'll handle this. Go to your brother's place and like take the dogs with you. And like <laughs> he's got a PS4 and like, you know, you're on summer vacation. He has a car. He take you to dance practice, whatever. And so I stay at my brother's. He's like playing a game. And I'm like, what is that? And he's like, oh, it's the Final Fantasy X remaster. Mm, yeah. um, and I remember playing it for an hour and being like entranced. Like this island yeah. is so beautiful. It's beautiful. And it's, it's really lush beautiful. and whatever. I never got around to playing it. And yeah. then lo and behold, like last year before Christmas, I played Kingdom Hearts. And I realized Kingdom Hearts is just like has so much Final Fantasy X aesthetic in oh, it. Yeah. Like Destiny Island. Yeah. Well, also, like, so many of the characters from 10 appear yeah, in Kingdom Hearts 2, which is, right like, there. something I never noticed as a kid either. Like, literally one of, two of the first characters you meet who are on Destiny Islands are, like, child versions of Tidus and Waka from that game. And I never realized that. Yeah. And then when I was an adult, like, a teenager, and I played 10, or I, I never rolled credits on 10, but I made it pretty far into it. It's on my list of things that, like, I have the PS3 remaster that came with, like, a really pretty art book. And it's one of those things that, like, one of these days I'm going to get back to it. But I remember after playing that and then, like, seeing a video of somebody playing Kingdom Hearts and I was like, that's Titus. <laughs> like, I was so yeah. shocked by it. But it makes sense. You know, it's the Tetsuya Nomura of it all. Like, he loves he loves his characters. It's kind of funny because when I first played Kingdom Hearts, I never played Final Fantasy VII or X. So Same, I was just like, yeah. what's up with these characters, whatever. And I yeah. just replayed it and I'm like, oh, my God, Yuffie. Like, she's there. It has the same energy as, like, how... uh Masahiro Sakurai always makes Kirby like an important fixture of the Smash Bros. games. It's like Tetsuya Nomura has to make Cloud and Final Fantasy 7, 10, 8 characters like really important yeah. fixtures. Of yeah, so this, this is an interesting chart. Um, I feel like I've asked you this before. Did you ever play 15? No, I didn't. I played, I played the demo for 15 when it came out. And I was really into that for a minute, but it's, I never got around to it because the reviews came out and everybody said that like, it's really only good for the first two thirds of it. And I know that, yeah, you, you've played 15. Have you beaten it or? I played it and I got to the point where it starts to unravel. And then I was like, nah. Um, and then <laughs> I, it, it was, a, I think it came out around the same time that Fallout 4 came out and I was like, I'm going to play this instead. Mm. And then that's also a game that like really falls mm-hmm. off yeah so (laughs) yeah that's funny yeah the thing i've generally heard about 15 is that like when it actually lets you do like the quasi open world parts of it it's really interesting and then once you get to the part where it just becomes like super linear hallways it just completely becomes not interesting so one of these days i'll play it just because i think i like the character design i like the idea of like dudes being bros so i don't know yeah there is a lot of like guys being dudes and like guys sitting on rooftops at night after eating at the local greasy spoon diner talking about their childhood and i i, I like it yeah um 
There, there are some good vibes in that game. Also, Florence and the Machine did a cover of Stand By Me. The fuck? And it's probably one of my favorite versions of Stand By Me. What the fuck? Anyway, yeah, for that game. Literally. You're like, <laughs> you're like keyboard going I'm Like off. frantically Googling Florence and the Machine Final Fantasy. Yeah, I'll be yes, honest. That's so it's right wild. There. It's Final Fantasy 15 has three songs from Florence and the Machine in it. Oh my what the God. fuck? Yeah. That's so weird. It's very, very like 2014 game right there. God, do you think they'll make Florence Florence Welch like a summon in Final Fantasy 16? They should. Absolutely. That'd be really she cool. She belongs in, in that grim dark fantasy. She does. She does. So what's this what's this thing you got next here on the list? Yeah, so I just wanted to announce I just wanted to put this here. Not announce, it's not like a major life update. <laughs> we are we have an announcement, a world premiere. A world premiere. Yeah, so Dunkey dropped his best of twenty twenty two uh video. Um it was it was funny, it was good. Um his I, I was really pleased to see that Kirby in the Forgotten Land got into his top three um as a fellow Kirby enjoyer. Um, I feel like people people forgot about that game because it came out like fucking like three weeks after Elden Ring, and it's just like yeah. really unfortunate timing there. Um, but Kirby deserves all the respect. Anyway, so yeah, he did his top ten games of 2022, but before that, in his intro, he announced that his video game company Big Mode, which he announced, you know, a few months ago, uh, mm-hmm. announced that it was publishing its first game. It's publishing the game Animal Well which is this like 2D kind of platformer that was announced, I believe, first at E3? Was it E3? No. It was, a, I think, a summer... It was like a, a game showcase last year. Oh, okay. Um, and it's really pretty pixel art, um, mm-hmm. fun audio. It gave me like cave story vibes when I was looking yeah, at it. Yeah, it's really pretty. And there's a little scene where there's, there's a level that's shaped like a heart, and there's two capybaras like Aww. lounging, and it's really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I'm excited for this. Um, I'm really glad that he plugged it in his video. Yeah. Um, cause that's going to give the game like a, a lot of traction and you can already wishlist it on, on Steam. So yeah, I'm excited. I've been wanting to play like a, a TV game for some time. So I might, whenever this comes out, I'm into this. It is interesting. Cause I kind of wondered that, you know, like if you're going to be a game that is published by the video game publishing house that's run by video game donkey are you also going to get plugged on video game donkey's youtube channel that gets like millions of views so i guess like you said i was kind of pleased to see that it is also sort of funny that like he says he's only going to publish good games but him talking about games will probably drive sales of said games so we i mean granted that doesn't make them good but it will help contribute to getting more eyes on them and stuff so it's it's a really interesting yeah. Yeah, jury's jury's still out to see how big mode fares. Like, yeah, this game could be bad, and then, there's a lot riding on animal. Like, well. <laughs> yeah, there's those little pixelated capybaras are are carrying so much weight. Um, yeah, <laughs> just interesting. It's it's a really interesting model. I don't really I don't really have like good or bad feelings about it yet. Yeah, it's just, just super interesting. Yeah, yeah. just curious. It, it's I just think it's. I hate to, I keep saying the word interesting, but it is really interesting the way that he's like leveraging himself as like I guess an influencer in some ways to also benefit his publishing company. So it's yeah. I don't know. It doesn't feel scummy yet. So yeah. I hope I hope it <laughs> I mean like I said, if the game right. sucks, it's yeah. gonna feel way Fast scummy. Fast forward to twenty twenty seven, it's gonna be like big mode employees accuse Dunkey of union busting. We're gonna be like, <laughs> God damn it. 
Um, <laughs> Damn it, I knew I shouldn't have put Dunky Union busting on my my uh, bingo card yeah, for 2023. Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, so yeah, there's there's that. And then the other thing, which is not so great, um womp, womp. is and we, we kind of previewed this in the intro, is that Ubisoft has had a very bad, like no good, terrible year, <laughs> or really the past seven months. Um Full disclosure, I'm not like an Ubisoft stan, I'm not like an Assassin's Creed player, not nah. the type of person who's into those games, but I mean, I, wait, I do like raving rabbits. I do like any rabbits content, uh, which we'll get to later. Um, but yeah, so in the past couple of days, there's been some announcements uh, that Ubisoft has not really been doing too hot. Um, they pushed back the uh, upcoming game Skull and Bones for like the fifth yeah. time in six years. They also pushed back Avatar Frontiers of Pandora and their next Assassin's Creed game, too. Yeah, so, and that's yeah. The, the really depressing thing about the Avatar game is that that game's release is supposed to coincide with the movie's <laughs> theatrical release, and so, like, that's not happening now. People are going to have completely forgotten about the movie by the time they Dude, game that's the out. thing. People aren't even talking about that movie anymore. Like, <laughs> I remember when the original Avatar came out, mm-hmm. people did not shut up about that movie for, like, a year. You know yeah, what I mean? They were yeah. like, wow, Avatar. Yeah, it was the cinematic event of like the year. Of 2010. Yeah, or 2009 yeah. or whatever. Whenever. And yeah. this this movie, like really, it was like a meme. Like it was just over yeah. within like a week. Um, And maybe, maybe part of that is because like it's 2023 instead of 2010. And people do not like, I feel like people do not inhale media at the pace uh in 2010 that they do now perhaps that's that's funny i well okay yeah that's true people just we speed through shit nowadays because there's just so much shit all the time like yeah the most recent thing i heard about avatar was a meme that said something now that uh the new puss in boots movie is out and is getting like rave reviews i saw a tweet that was like pack it up boys it's time for the real men to go to the movies and it was like on one side it was people leaving an avatar theater and then like a bunch of buff people going into a puss in boots showing dude jesse and i actually want to go see puss in boots i do too i will i will watch literally anything that has the spider-verse animation style i don't care what it is i will will watch watch anything in the shrek cinematic universe that's that's my take on it yeah there's some kids movies that you're like can i borrow my nephew so i don't look like weird going into this movie like there are some like borrow your nephew or borrow your like your little cousin movies like inside Mm -hmm. out was that for me but this is a movie where i'm like i am i'm a grown-ass woman i am here to see antonio banderas swing a little sword and be a little cat and (laughs) you cannot bother me and i i am not feeling judged at all so Shout out to Puss in Boots, honestly. Shout out to Puss in Boots, but yeah, sorry, I derailed you from Ubisoft. Uh, yeah, it's it's fine. So Puss in Boots is it, Puss in Boots is doing great. Ubisoft is not. Um, yes. They canceled in the past like six months or seven months. They've canceled about seven games. Yeah, which is that's like I mean we love I love to show on like Star Wars for being like sixty <laughs> percent cancellation rate, but like Ubisoft is like wow, like this is. This makes Star Wars look like the games are going to come out next week or something. Like, yeah. they've canceled. I'll just list a few. There's like a, a VR Splinter Cell game. There's like Man. two different Tom Clancy games they, they canceled. There is a free to play <laughs> shooter. Again, like these games 
do not yawn. appeal to me at all. Boo. We're like, boo. Um, it is funny though. Like <laughs> those are those are the three games, or like those are some of the games that we know about. But they did note that some of these games were games that were not announced. Yeah. Like I've I've read articles about this that were like these are games that got quietly canceled that people didn't even know about. So yeah, I'm, like, I'm looking forward to like a Did You Know Gaming YouTube video in ten years that's like. Here's a game that Ubisoft quietly canceled in 2023. Yeah. Really that sad awesome. that they, they canceled the Rabbids Assassin's Creed crossover. <sighs> yeah, I was really looking forward to that one. <laughs> um, but speaking of Rabbids, like one Ubisoft yeah. game that came out recently is the Mario and Rabbids Sparks of Hope, uh, which I've actually heard really good things about, but people just, yeah. the sales have been, I guess, a little um, below what they expected. Um mm-hmm which might be part of why they're going through all this uh, tumultuousness. Um, yeah, I, I generally hear, like, really positive stuff about the... Because now there's, there's what, there's two of them now, the yeah. Mario and Rabbids games. Like, I've heard really good things about both of them. Yeah. Um, I had the the Rabbids game for the Wii, where it's motion mm-hmm. controls, and there's a yeah. mini game where they're, like, singing off-tune in a choir. They're all singing Ode to Joy, and they're like... Mah! like voice. I, I vaguely remember this yeah. and in order to get them to sing on tune you have to slap them like with your wiimote which is like mm. kind of fucked up i'm I just love like that, you're actually. slapping animals into singing properly um so yeah i'm like low-key a rabbit stand anyway um <laughs> you can get, rabbits were the original minions let's just say it they were they, they were. were they That's were so bold yeah <laughs> i'm just saying um that's the crossover we need, actually. Ubisoft, get on that. There you go. Um, that would be so fucking annoying that it might actually circle back to be funny. Yeah, the, it's the, like horseshoe the theory. The boomers. Of yeah, yeah. The bo- <laughs> yeah. It's like left. <laughs> are, are we arguing that minions are right wing here or left wing? Right wing for sure. Okay. I think yeah, they're on Facebook. They're on Facebook a lot. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. No, like. So, yeah, you, you even put it out, like, I really hope that this doesn't affect Mario and Rabbids. Like, I don't know. It probably will, but it's, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, the, the recent did... release did, uh, people really like it. I actually got mm-hmm. it on sale uh, oh, yeah. around Black Friday. I just haven't gotten around to playing it. It's like a strategy mm-hmm. game. Um, people have said it's grid strategy, so I'm like, Fire Emblem? Like, it's... <laughs> it's more like XCOM. It's not okay. grid strategy, but it's like you have, like, a blob you can move around, kind of like XCOM, and you're doing, like, cover shooting, basically. Like, it is... It's very XCOM-inspired, which is, like, insane to me that... I remember when they announced there was going to be a Mario and Rabbids crossover, like, you could have... I would have never in a million years predicted that it was going to be, like, an XCOM-inspired game. But, yeah, yeah. I, I love that, so... <laughs> I, I might crack that open. Maybe next week we'll see. It's interesting too that like amid all of this, just earlier earlier today when we were recording this, uh, this article popped up on Kotaku talking about how the next Assassin's Creed game. So this is Assassin's Creed Mirage. This one was supposed to come out last year, but now it's coming out this year. It was one of the games that was delayed. It's going to be set in a region that's like much more similar to the original Assassin's Creed. This is supposed to be a spin-off game that centers around a character who was introduced in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. I didn't play much of Valhalla, but I did play long enough to meet this guy. And it was it's going to follow him in the Islamic Golden Age in 9th century Baghdad. So it's like very similar setting to the first Assassin's Creed. Not the exact time period, but a very similar setting. And Ubisoft has since announced that Actually, the open world is not going to be so big. It's going to be smaller. It's going to be more intimate, more character focused. 
which would be really interesting to know, like, whether that decision was made, you know, Mm. back a couple of years ago when they were starting to see the writing on the wall about these games becoming so big and bloated and that kind of thing or or what but or in response to financial issues exactly but i, I, mean, I actually I, am cool with them making a smaller open world yeah, because like you're saying please. these games are just fucking bloated they're like, so big they're so big like that was yeah. one of the main things that turned me off valhalla when i was playing it a little bit was that like it's like the minute you get free roam to do anything and like go about the world and do quests and stuff, the map is just so big and it's just littered with dots and things to do. And it wasn't in like a, ooh, I can't wait to see all of this way. It was in like a, oh God, I'm going to have to go to every one of these places <laughs> or die kind of thing. And I, I don't know, I was just really turned off by it. I was really, it was just too much for me. Like the, so many of the Ubisoft games that have come out in the past like decade even have fallen into a very similar kind of uh, gameplay loop. And it would be, like, obviously not Mario and Rabbids, but, like, Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, Watch Dogs, all these games have kind of, while they have different spins on it, gelled into, like, one type of game. So I'm hoping they diversify a little bit. Not that I have that much skin in the game here. Like you said, we're not Ubisoft stands, but, like, I don't know, just do something different, please. I still, I used to be an Assassin's Creed stand, so... That is that is the thing about me. Yeah, we we are so we are both former stands of Ubisoft IP. <laughs> I really, you guys are learning more and more about us, uh, dear listeners. Um, We're really burying our souls. On yeah, this podcast. we are really. Yeah. This is really intimate now. Um, third base is when I talk to you about rabbits. I love that. I love that. Um, yeah. So. Well, we'll have to see how this all shakes out, but it it would be interesting to see them experiment with a smaller open world. I hope that's just mm-hmm. a trend. Period. Oh, God, same. Yeah. Make it happen. Yeah. You know, I do. You ever see those like memes that are like, "This is what's in for 2023, and this is what's yeah, out." Yeah. And like, it's usually like weird shit, especially on Twitter. Like, in for 2023, like unpasteurized milk, mm-hmm. yeah. stilettos. Showing up to work on time, going off birth control. It's usually like the most like like just like bizarre yeah. amalgamation, like like just mashup of things. But I think in for twenty twenty three in the world of gaming is like smaller open worlds. Yes, predicting it right now. Stop making me commit to a one hundred hour video game when I when I open up a map. I want to. I want smaller things. My my pet theory is I I feel like there's some sort of DNA timeline narrative you can draw between like the downfall of mmos like pre-get like pre like we were going through a little bit of a renaissance of mmos but like early 2010s downfall of mmos Mm -hmm. early 2010s rise of single player open world there's gotta be something going on in there there's gotta be something there that'd be interesting to kind of chart those two things alongside each other yeah Yeah. so The other uh, the other item I had on here was uh, Polygon did this really cool list of uh, most anticipated indie games of 2023, and I just wanted to like list a couple of them that I thought were really interesting and that I watched the trailers of and were like, hmm, I actually want to play that. Um, there's one game from Red Candle Games. It's a studio based in Taiwan. It's called Nine Souls. It is a 2D, it's a 2D platformer that is supposed to be Sekiro-like, which is uh, very hmm. interesting. Usually things call themselves like Souls-like, yeah. um, but it's Sekiro-like. And, oh, that's interesting. Uh, it looks really cute. <laughs> um, hmm. And I, I like this type of game. So uh, it kind of 
reminded me a bit of Tunic in a way. Okay. And I I'm into this. This uh, is this is cool too. I've I haven't played any of their games, but I've heard really good things about the stuff from Red Candle Games. They made that game Devotion, which came out a few years yes, ago. Yes, they did. Yeah, it was like a Wikipedia calls it a first person psychological horror video game. But I know that it drew a lot of acclaim when people found that Easter egg in the game that like uh, negatively referenced Xi Jinping and like the game got delisted on Steam for a bit. But um, I think it might still be delisted from Steam, actually. Like, I'm not sure if you can oh, wow. still buy it, actually. Uh, here we go. Wikipedia says March 2021 Red Candle Games opened their own digital storefront to sell the, their own game and it's DRM free. So... That's kind of crazy. Like I, I remember when they came under fire for that, but it's it's cool to see that they like are still putting stuff out after that. Yeah, that is really interesting. Uh, another game I thought was interesting was Season. It is a road trip documentary game. This was featured at a State of Play last mm-hmm. year. Um, your protagonist I is seeing this and like loving this. Dude, it was so cool. It, yeah. it had like almost Breath of the Wild e visuals, mm-hmm. and you were like riding around the country on your bike and taking videos and pictures of things you encounter like across the land it's like a documentary game yeah um this comes out on the 31st uh for the ps4 ps5 and windows pc um so this is coming up quick yeah we we can all games yeah Yeah. we can all use some more bicycle games yeah this looks really cool and then the third one which is one we've actually talked about here before is called venba it is a narrative cooking game. Uh, it takes place in a uh, in Indian Canadian family, um, and they are you are tasked with remembering and I guess recreating lost family recipes and kind of like bonding over those shared memories. Yeah. Um, and it's coming out tentatively this spring. This looks really cool. Yeah. Um, games that like focus on like a family narrative is very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has kind of a sort of like Pixar energy mm-hmm. to me. Um, I could totally see this game potentially making me cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I'm into it. This was featured at a Nintendo Direct last year. Yeah, this was, um, there's also a really good podcast. This is the Origin Story podcast. I think I've shouted them out before. It's a really good show where they bring on like game devs and other creatives and stuff to talk about stuff they're doing. They had one of the the head designers and programmers on this game. Her name is Abby on last year to talk about like what inspired this game and that kind of stuff. And it was it was a really, really good conversation. I'll link that in the description as well. But it it really gave you a, it's like kind of a view into the headspace of the people who are making this game and about how it's tackling stuff like the the immigrant diaspora out of India and that kind of stuff and connecting with your family and your, your heritage via food and stuff. So I I'm in love with that. Like it, it almost looks like it's going to have some mechanics that are reminiscent of like a cooking mama type thing, or at least maybe that's me projecting, but like it reminds me of that kind of a game. And I'm all about taking like a cooking mechanic in a game and expanding it beyond like making food for stats a la breath of the wild or like making yeah. food for points a la cooking mama so it, it looks really cool yeah i i'm definitely really excited for this um and then I, you listed a couple of indie games yeah i listed a couple of things on here that were like uh that were like not in this list but just things that i'm really looking forward to 
One of them, this was, I, I've been following this for a minute, but forgot to mention it last week when we were talking about games we're looking forward to. And I was reminded when I listened to the latest episode of uh, Girl Mode, another really good video game podcast. This one is called Demon School. It's the next game that's coming out from Necrosoft Games, which uh, they're the devs behind a game called Gun House and a couple other things. It's like a PS1-inspired horror-y tactics game. It looks like it's got like a good bit of Shin Megami Tensei inspiration. Not just in like the the aesthetic and the grid based tactics of like a devil survivor type thing, but also like in the school setting and the fact that you're going to be interacting with students and that kind of thing. That looks really really cool. I'm excited for that. And another big one to shout out to is another Crab's Treasure. This is the the one that's coming out from Agro Crab Games. I mentioned Going Under earlier in the show. Going Under is like really fun and it's got a really good sense of humor. It's got like. It's got that uh that kind of cynical corporate art style that inspires a lot of the art in game, and it's got like <laughs> like I said earlier, it skewers workplace culture, but it's not in like a Dilbert way where it's like oh I hate my job oh people are crazy. It's in like an actual like pro union <laughs> anti capitalist way. Like it's really good. And another crab's treasure looks like it's gonna be. I think they've. It looks like it's gonna have souls adjacent combat where like you're dodge rolling and you're hitting stuff, but you're playing as a crab and you're like finding new weapons and new shells and that kind of thing. So that looks awesome. I'm I'm very into that kind of thing. So I think it's gonna be a really good year for indie stuff. And this isn't even mentioning like like these are the indie games we know about. This isn't accounting for anything like I don't know like a Vampire Survivors that is gonna come out in the middle of the year and someone's gonna find it and it's uh, yeah it's just gonna blow up so i'm i'm excited for it i'm excited yeah this is gonna be a pretty pretty packed year um so i'm I'm pretty pumped for it we're gonna take a quick break before we get into our next chunk but we will be right back hey press start this is jeff from the band expert timing my favorite game is hollow knight I love a good metroidvania game and Hollow Knight is quite simply the best one. Starting off, you're not boxed in, you can make choices about the path you take. Your fighting and gameplay style can be altered with like a token system. The tokens are things you find in the world. There's a whole lore um, and backstory to the world that exists that you get in little pieces as you explore and multiple playthroughs feel like really rewarding. When we were writing our latest record, uh, Stargazing, I was playing a ton of Hollow Knight. Did the game directly influence our songs? It's hard to say, but we were doing a ton of introspection and questioning the meaning of life. So the deterministic philosophy behind Hollow Knight really spoke to me, and I found comfort in it. Um, anyway, here's the first track off of Stargazing. It's a song called Special Hell by my band Expert Timing.
Thank you to the band Expert Timing for that little interlude there. Yeah, so Noah, what have you been playing? I am mostly still just playing Disco Elysium. Like right after we got... So last week when I was talking about Disco Elysium, Disco Elysium, it's a very good game. It's very story-driven. I'm loving it very much. I think I had said that I had never hit a fail state in the game. And it was really interesting to me that like this is a game that is rooted in you making choices and I had not hit a fail state. Let me tell you, since then, I've hit a fail state a couple oh. of times. Um, you have a health bar and a morale bar. And I have been doing a really good job at keeping those up. And like I'm going to try to speak really generally here because I don't want to spoil anything story-wise. Okay. I got to a part in the game where a dramatic thing happened that dealt a lot of health damage to me. And I did not have enough health regens to get through it the first time. And so... Whoa, so it's like damage that is part of the story. Yeah, yeah. It was like text. It was like going through text blocks and getting damage because of something that was happening. And so That's fair. I, I've received some text before in my life that have caused me <laughs> considerable damage. So I, I hit zero health. And I was really curious what happened because if you hit zero health when you have health power-ups, it basically says like, hey, your health is critical. You have to use one of these. And it's like, okay. I hit it without anything. And it kicks me out of the dialogue prompt I was in and into a totally new dialogue window where it's like so your body basically says to you like, hey, what's this weird feeling I'm feeling in my chest? And so then one of the dialogue options I had from there was like, it's probably just heartburn. And then you click, it's probably just heartburn. And your body is like, no, it's not. And then it's like, you feel it. You feel this pain moving from your chest up to your jaw. You feel it in your shoulder. It's getting worse. And then I picked a dialogue option that was like, this will, I'll probably get through this. It'll probably pass. And then it's like, you're going back and forth with like your body and your body's like, no, it won't. And then the screen goes black and you die. You have a heart attack and die. So that was my first uh, fail state. I had that happen. I've also hit a couple in the story that just like, again, speaking very generally here, I was talking to a person about the murder investigation and I tried to go kind of like, I tried to push them to like force them to tell me something. And I ended up getting shot and I didn't incur health damage. The game just game overed me. So like, oh, wow. I, I've experienced some of that. I've also made it to a point in this game where like a an event that had been kind of foreshadowed ended up happening. And when it did happen, <laughs> I'm wondering if people who have played Disco Elysium can kind of like tell what I'm talking about. But um, this event that I kind of knew was coming ended up happening. And now like. Some people have died, and I think I could have avoided it had I oh, put skills no. into, like, skill points into other skills and, oh, like, like, succeeded some checks. Oh. Yeah. And it it's really funny because one of the paths that I've been chasing has been, like, uh, very early on. It's, like, one of the things in this game is you can get, they're called thoughts. And when you get thoughts, you can research them, and then they end up in your thought cabinet. And so those kind of inform... It's kind of like in the Fallout games when you, like, are really stupid and you get, like, new dialogue options because you're really stupid. Like, yeah. <laughs> based on what thoughts you have in your thought cabinet, you can get unique things. So, like, one of my thoughts early on was, like, uh, learn more about, like, the guy who invented communism in this world. And I was like, what the hell? This sounds interesting. I'm going to go for it. And so because of that, I ended up unlocking a whole new side quest that is like in my in my like quest log, it's listed as get organized. And so it's the it's described as like 
it, when you first unlock it, every time you unlock a new thought, after you spend in-game time thinking about it, and then it joins your thought cabinet, you get a prompt that comes up where it like walks you through what this is. And so when it's explaining this to me, it's like 0.00001% of global communism has been built. But you think if you really put your head to it, you could probably get to 0.00002. And so the whole idea is like now you have this side quest where you can try to find like communists who are organizing in the city you're in. And so I ended up finding them. I found these like uppity like post-college reading group communists who are all about like you have to read these books and if you don't you're not a real communist or whatever so i spent like a not insignificant time chasing this side quest and i've had the thought multiple times that are like if i had spent less time trying to find these guys who were going to tell me to read books yeah, if you had spent less less time with the fucking DSA meeting, if, if I had spent and more yes. time, <laughs> if I had spent less time at the DSA meeting in game and more time specking into hand eye coordination, maybe I could have not let so many people die. Yeah, I I could just I just picture like the trolley problem, <laughs> and like one thing is like the communist manifesto, and the other thing is like five people tied to the train track or whatever, and it's like and learning like, how to untie well, a knot. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's really. <laughs> interesting that like i don't think it's an accident that i'm having this thought playing the game because like given the the ideologies of the people who made this game i don't think it is a coincidence that i'm playing this game and going wait a minute i should have spent less time arguing about heady theories and more time like making sure that the people who are vulnerable are not going to die so Sis, I, I really sat with that. Like they're definitely they're definitely saying something with this game. They're saying something. Sure. They're yeah. saying something. And but I, I really do feel like I'm on the cusp of like actually solving this in-game murder. Like I really think I'm gonna figure it out and I'm feeling good about it. But yeah, it's it's a wildly interesting game. And like the more I play it, the more upset I am that like due to legal nonsense and like what some people have alleged was a hostile takeover of that company like there might not be a disco elysium 2 or if there is a disco elysium 2 it's going to be from a completely different creative team which is like such a bummer like yeah it, it really sucks it sounds like this group of people who were like really pushing to do this like important piece of art ended up just stuck with somebody who decided to and this is all alleged i mean there are court cases going on to this yeah. effect but like it, it all signs point to it was it was a hostile takeover of the company for the money, which really sucks. So I don't know. It's but we'll always have Disco Elysium. We, we what what is Disco Elysium if not the Disco Elysiums we've played along the way? So that's the main thing I've been playing. I have a couple of shout outs for non game things. The first is a K drama that Christine and I are watching. It's called Our Beloved Summer. This is the polar opposite tonally of Disco Elysium. It is about this like couple who were high school sweethearts into college, and then they broke up dramatically, and they've rekindled their love, and also there's this whole thing about like a documentary being filmed about them. It's very cute. I'm enjoying it. I'm like six or seven episodes into it, so like the halfway point of the show. And um, the other thing, I think we both have anime on our lists here. So yes, we do. Back at the beginning of this last anime season, I watched the prologue episode for the new Mobile Suit Gundam show. This is Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch from Mercury. I watched the prologue episode that dropped, and I went, holy shit, that was really good. I'm going to watch The Witch from Mercury. And then I never did. So 
the season just ended. It's a 12-episode season. It's fairly short. And people were, like, rave reviewing the last episode of the season. It's apparently very good. It's apparently very shocking. And so I was like, yeah, you know what the hell? I'm finally going to start The Witch from Mercury. Um, I would have started The Witch from Mercury way sooner if I had known that it's literally just Revolutionary Girl Lutena with mechs. So that's dope. Um, I'm one episode. I've only watched the first episode. I started watching the second episode last night and I conked out because I was really sleepy. But the first episode is like, I don't want to say beat for beat because it's not 100% that, but it's about as close to being beat for beat the first episode of Utena as you could get. So I don't know. Tori, have you watched Revolutionary Girl Utena? No, or? I haven't. So this is interesting. Are, are you familiar with it at all? Like, do you know? Yeah, is it like it? a magical girl in anime? It's like kind of a magical girl anime. It's like it takes place in this fictional school where it's like people are going there to study to be like the the best prince, basically. And it's it's a dueling school. There's a lot of sword fighting going on. It's been a minute since I watched any Utena, so I'm probably flubbing some of this. But the core of it is that Utena, the girl who goes there, is she doesn't want to be a princess. She wants to be a prince. She like people call her a prince. And she dresses in like the male uniform and everything. And so there's a thing built into the school where the person who is like the best dueler or whatever gets to marry this girl who is like the the best princess or whatever, basically. So early on, Utena like starts beating people in duels and ends up becoming like, oh my God, is she going to be the person who has to marry this woman? And so it's there's a lot of like there's a lot of gender stuff going on there's a lot of sexuality stuff going on mm. but like the the sexual the 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 LGBT I guess themes of this are like are of Gundam so far or like way more out there than they ever like nobody ever looked at another person I've watched about two thirds of Utena I need to get back to actually finish it but nobody ever looked at another person and was like I'm a lesbian. Whereas yeah. <laughs> in the very first episode of The Witch from Mercury, one of the characters says to another, like, I guess you have to marry me. And the character is like, oh, my God, I do. And then the other one goes, oh, you must be from a place that's more conservative. People don't really think anything of that here. And I was like, oh, like, oh, gay. So, yeah, yeah. it's, it's really, really good. It's really, really good. interesting the way you describe Utena, because, like, I went through a phase as, like, a young teen where I was really obsessed with Sailor Moon. Mm-hmm. And I had finished it and I was like ravenous for something else. Mm-hmm. I ended up not watching anything else. Or I think I ended up watching like Sword Art Online <laughs> Oof, <laughs> afterward. That's a rough um, one, yeah. Woof. But I remember looking at like old online forums and stuff from the 90s and people being like Magic Knight Ray Earth or Revolutionary Girl uh, Utena or um, even in the early 2010s like uh, Madoka Magica. Which I've watched yeah. like the first episode of, and I don't know how I feel about it. Um, <laughs> You've got to watch more Madoka, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. First episode's really weird. Um, doesn't make much sense. But um, so I've always heard about Utena like in that breath of like, if you like Sailor Moon, yeah, you would like Utena. But what you're describing to me does not sound like Sailor Moon at all. This is um, like really, really reductive. So like, take this with a bunch of grains of salt. But yeah, like if Neon Genesis Evangelion is to Gundam. And like what Gundam becomes in the 90s, then Revolutionary Girl Utena in some ways is to Sailor Moon and the magical girl genre. Oh, even though like Sailor Moon is not even the most like over the top tropey magical girl anime, you know, like there are more there are ones that lean more into like the the gender stereotype stuff. But Utena is like very big on subverting 
gender stereotypes and that kind of thing. And it's it's really interesting. And it's like I think you would really enjoy it too, especially like um the animators in Steven Universe take a lot of cues from Utena too. There's like yeah, there's like I've very there's like very obvious references to Utena in some Steven Universe scenes that I've seen like side by side. Yeah, I've seen the Sailor Moon comparisons. I I pick up on those. Yeah. In Steven Universe. Yeah. It's good though. It's really good. Uh I'm fully planning on diving into the Witch from Mercury. It's super, super cool. I like that Gundam is really cool because it's like since there are so many different like quote unquote universes and like timelines of Gundam, like this this ep- this one, The Witch from Mercury, is like totally disconnected, it seems, from the rest of them. It's like its own separate thing. So whereas the chief conflict of the usual, like the main line Gundam series is this conflict between the the Earth government, the Federation, and then the Republic of Zeon, which is like sometimes the really, really bad guys and sometimes not so much the bad guys. It kind of depends on what series you're watching. This one is very much about like corporate entities that control large chunks of the mobile suit market, like having issues with each other over like IP and IP of big robots and like who can build the big robots and that kind of thing. So I, I have a feeling it's going to shape up and be really interesting. Like I said, I can't speak really definitively about it because I'm so soon into it, but it's it's good so far. What are you playing? Yeah, so I I don't know if this is like really, really the, the best term, but I, I think I'm finding some sort of like a groove with Tokyo Mirage. Um, I enjoyed an edible substance uh, <laughs> last Friday night. <laughs> And uh, it hit, like, precisely at the time I was uh, opening up the game and I cleared an entire dungeon in one sitting. Oh, wow. And when you are, like, in a groove, like, a a Shibigami Tensei-style dungeon session, there's nothing like it. Like, there's something therapeutic almost about, like, repetitive... Yeah turn-based combat that i really can't explain to people but it's a tiny bit of the almost meditative state i would go into when i was in tartarus in persona 3 Mm. um so i went through this area that was called like shibuya 106 it's like the name of like a building that becomes a dungeon um which i feel like is a dungeon i'm gonna have to be like revisiting later on in the game Hmm. but anyway I cleared that dungeon, some plot stuff happened, and I got thrust into this really interesting thing this game does, where after you finish a dungeon, it will literally like show up on the screen, intermission period, and it oh, will wow. be like, this is the period of the game in between story like campaigns, where you can do side quests, you can go into this like... uh side dungeon place to like level up your characters yeah like you can just do all that and have at it and then return back to this building for the main story remember once you do that it will progress and you can't go back Hmm. and i was like oh super cool and so i'm like chatting people up and trying to like do their i guess social link but with all of them, it's all like, you're not far enough in the game to do that social link. And oh, wow. so I'm like, then what the hell is the point of this first intermission? Yeah. Doesn't really make sense. I guess, they, I guess they're just doing that to show you. 
Yeah. Um, so now I'm in like the second story part, and it's kind of weird. This game feels a little disjointed and where you don't always like know where the next dungeon is. Like I, I've been told, like, hey, there's this thing opening up in this area. Go to it. And then I'm there and like the thing hasn't happened yet. So I'm like, where is the dungeon? Did I already pass it? Hmm. Um this, this game is a little weird with things like that. Another weird thing that happened to me with this game was before I faced the boss of the first dungeon, you know how like in SMT games, there's this like very classic line that's like, you sense a dangerous presence beyond this door. Yeah, yeah. It's, it always Which is basically that. telling you like, don't go through this door unless you've saved because there's a yeah. boss here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very classic like Atlas thing. Um... I had I, I went up to the door where I knew the boss was going to be. I tried to go and my performo, just like my persona, mm-hmm. um, was like, hey, you can't go here until Subasa learns how to sing. And I was like, what the fuck? What? Subasa is a pop idol. Like she sings for a living. What do you mean she has to learn how to sing? And then your character will think to himself like, hmm, yeah, she does need to learn how to sing. We should go back to the Bloom Palace. The Bloom Palace is the velvet room of this game. Think of it that yeah. way. Okay. You go there to like fuse abilities and blah blah. Yeah, this is where Tiki lives. Yeah, this is where Tiki lives. And I'm just like, I, I went back to the Bloom Palace. I talked to everyone. Nothing came up. And I was like, what what is going on? And so eventually I just started wandering around in the overworld, like around Tokyo. And this game has a feature where, where, like, your party members will text you and, like, give you little hints about where you're supposed to go. That's cute. And stuff. So I just kept, like, fucking around. And eventually someone texted me, like, hey, you should really talk to Tiki. Like, talk to Tiki about making Subasa sing. And I was <laughs> like, I tried. All she wants to ask is offering diffuse abilities. Like, what the hell? So I eventually went back and I went line by line every single one of, like, Tiki's dialogue options and, like, fusion options. And lo and behold, there's like one ability fusion you can do for Subasa that's like belt your it's called like belt your heart out or something. Huh. And it was that. And oh, like, that's interesting. You press it and then you get launched into like this cutscene that's literally an anime music video of Subasa's singing. That's awesome. And it's just like, what? It makes no fucking sense. But after I did all that, I was like able to like actually beat the first boss. It just it seemed really weird. I looked up so many videos, like walkthrough videos. I was like, what the hell am I supposed to do? And I couldn't figure it out from watching those videos. It was only once I got to like, I think it was either Reddit or some other forum that they were like, oh yeah, before the boss in every single dungeon in Tokyo Mirage, the game will demand that you do some weird, annoying shit that they're not completely clear about what you're supposed to actually do. And you just have to like figure that out. Hmm. So I'm like, hmm, that's a little weird. So yeah, yeah it it's like this game had pot- has potential, but just like maybe not the best execution, if that makes mm. sense. Um, the combat is interesting. It's classic SMT turn based, but there's some like fire emblem elements. Uh, well, first of all, every time your character levels up, it makes a fire emblem noise. <laughs> Classic, um, yeah. Like the dun 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 dun. dun. I'm like, oh, that's Fire Emblem. Um, and the other thing is, it was introducing the concept of like weapon weaknesses and advantages. 
Okay, so it's like, not just like the elemental ones. Like the Zeo is better. Oh yeah, than those Garu. those, yeah, those you are have things. Those. And also, but then you also have like, for example, when my characters had like a spear, mm-hmm. or, like a bow and arrow, and they're like, "Oh, this type of weapon is advantageous against flying." And I yep. was like, "Wait, there's flying? <laughs> okay." Because I I was I instantly was reminded of like Fire Emblem Three Houses and like mm-hmm. my character Dorothy having like was it Dorothy? It was the one that was from a tribe. From the Bridget mm, tribe. Yeah. I'm forgetting I, her name. Is she that like, Petra? Petra. Yeah, yeah, Petra was like a flying, I made her like a flying wyvern mm-hmm. person. And like, she was always weak to like arrows and shit. Yeah, you can get so, fucked up by a bow and arrow. Yeah. And so I immediately had the thought of like, oh, this is where the fire emblem comes in. Yeah. So I'm kind of encountering that. Um, I might put this game down for a while and play something else and pick it back up. But it does interest me, and I I am kind of interested in the plot. I just wonder, like, what's the deal with Subasa's sister, and like, why is all this weird supernatural stuff happening in Tokyo whenever a pop idol decides to have a concert? <laughs> it seems kind of sus. It is interesting that you talk about like the the like persona social link elements of it, especially since like. That's not something that's completely foreign to the Fire Emblem games, obviously, with, like, the support system, because that's something mm. that's been in the Fire Emblem games for a while. That's true, like, like, the CBA rank. Yeah, but, like, in the in the earlier Fire Emblem games, I'm thinking, like, back to the GBA ones, I can't really speak for the Super Nintendo ones, but in the GBA ones, like, the supports were all things that played out in battle. So, like, you, there was not a separate menu for supports. It would just suddenly be, like, if you put Lin next to Elliewood all of a sudden there would be a command that like to talk comes up and you're like, Oh my God, they have a support conversation to have. So there's been a push from the 3ds ones onward to kind of like take the support stuff, pull it out of the battle. I think it was like that on the GameCube and Wii one too. And like really allow you to do that as a separate thing from battling. And then that kind of culminates in three houses when you get to run around the monastery. And that feels so persona of like, time management and all that too so it's interesting that this game comes out in what 2015 and then three houses that one i googled came out in 2019 so it's like in some ways smt and the persona series still kind of dripped into fire emblem even outside of such a deliberate crossover so that's just really interesting yeah it is it is an interesting game um there are like one or two characters i'm like tangentially interested in i'm, I'm interested in tsubasa mm-hmm. and i'm interested in tiki because from from what i've read there's like a elaborate side quest involving tiki's like i don't know life um <laughs> and you can like do stuff with her like yeah. introduce her to people and like do tasks for her i don't know it's like the chick from the velvet room in persona 3 that you yeah kind of yeah. yeah 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 so that seems like kind of cute Hmm. Um, but besides that, I am like very firmly. I mean, if not, you can already tell from me playing this game. I'm like yeah. firmly in my weeb era right now. Like queen, I I'm like watching an anime series and like reading a whole different manga separately at the same time. Um, the anime I've been watching is called Monster. Monster is a like classic early two thousands anime. Um, was also a manga. Um, it was recently added to Netflix and it got recommended to me of like, you'll love this. And um, I texted my brother about it and he's like, oh yeah, that's a classic. 
I read the manga of that a long time ago. And I was like, huh. So we put it on and we started watching it. And it's a really interesting anime. Um, it asks big questions. It like it's drawn me in in a way that most animes don't. I tend to favor, like, I know I've been saying, like, oh, I love Sailor Moon. Because I do. As a child, I love Sailor Moon. As an adult, I have found that I like more serious anime. Like, I, I like a, a, a fun shonen. Like, I, I've watched, like, episodes of One Piece with Jesse, and they're fun. Um, and, like, Mob Psycho. But, like, there's something about, like, grittier, darker anime that, like, asks mm-hmm. big questions that I'm always kind of attracted to. And so Monster is kind of like that. Um, Monster is about a brain surgeon who um, this takes place in Cold War era Germany, like uh, mid 80s. Oh, wow. And so he's in West Germany and he has an incident where um, like a family is shot in their house. Like mm-hmm. the it's a mom and a dad and a twin kids, like a twin brother and twin sister. The mom and dad get murdered. Uh the sister is uninjured somehow, but the brother is shot in the head. And so mm-hmm. as a brain surgeon, he is like doing surgery on the boy and like taking the bullet out of his head. And he's like, Wow, what a horrific crime. And you learn that you learn that these people are like refugees from East Germany that fled to West Germany. Oh, wow. and that like they might have been killed by like Soviets. And you're like, okay, kind of crazy. This show is just about the neurosurgeon and, like, how his life sucks and, like, his fiance dumped him and he's just, like, sad. And doing the surgery on this little boy and how, like, horrific it is. Jeez. Um, And so he does surgery on this little boy. Um, He, the little boy gets better. The girl is also in the hospital for psychological trauma because she saw her entire family get, like, murdered. Yeah. Um, she's in like a comatose, like amnesiac state. It's mm-hmm. really interesting. Um, and so a bunch of crazy stuff happens. The boy and the girl, the twins, they both go missing from the hospital. They disappear from the hospital. And all of a sudden, people in the hospital, like the director of the hospital, uh, one one of the higher up neurosurgeons, that's not the main character all end up dying from eating tainted candy. What the fuck? And it just seems really weird. And so that's like the first three episodes. And then the next episode's like flash forward nine years later. And more people, there's like another one or two cases of like tainted candy deaths. And the neurosurgeon is like, hmm, that's really fucking weird. Reminds me of that one time nine years ago, like those twins who escaped and like tainted candy. Is there, like, a weird murder case going on? Mm. And you actually find out that there is, in fact, like, a weird murder case going on. Wow. And so you have this brain surgeon who is, like, trying to solve this murder case because he thinks it, like, affects his past mm. patients. And, like, he's motivated by, like, his ethics as a doctor. So wow. it's a, it's really weird. And That sounds I, really interesting. Yeah, I love true crime, but not, like, in a... I've been kind of put off by true crime... Like real life true crimes, it's like yeah. it's exploitative nature. Yeah, it's it's, it, it's very navel gazy. It's very like gawking in a lot of ways, gawking yeah. at like people's real trauma. Yeah, um, almost like 
deference or just complete lack of accountability of like police error when like so much true crime is like true crime because police fucked up yeah like so much of it is um so that's why i've kind of resorted to like getting my weird true crime fix on like fictional true crime because like it's all made up yeah um so More ethical I, in the long run yeah yeah right and so this is a uh, i i don't know it, it scratches a, a weird itch and i love that there's something about early 2000s anime like it's not pretty yeah <laughs> the art style is really not that pretty at all but it feels nostalgic to me so I've yeah been, i've been enjoying that i'm really i was kind of surprised so when you said you were watching something on netflix i assumed that this was like a cgi remake of something or a cgi show no i didn't realize it, that this was just like a whole ass old anime that netflix stuck on here like that's yeah awesome. and well there's one thing about the kind of blows is that they only have the first 30 episodes on netflix mm-hmm. and the show's like 75 episodes long really wow so like i don't know where i'm gonna figure out how i'm gonna watch the rest of the show like maybe i'll just buy like a shitty box set of dvds on amazon you might that's have like to, standard yeah. def for like a hundred dollars because that's mm-hmm. how anime box sets are for some reason um it's not on crunchyroll which is hmm. surprising um it's not like on any other like a major american streaming service so it's kind of odd um at least not that i know of but yeah so i've been i've been watching monster i highly recommend it um yeah besides that i've been rereading tokyo ghoul mm-hmm. um i was i got really into tokyo ghoul when i was a teenager um like late teens and um there's probably a lot of reasons for that a my brother was into it and he just like passed it down to me b like the chokehold that tokyo ghoul had on anime kids in like 2014 mm-hmm. like we all know the opening song of the tokyo ghoul anime um can i can i be honest i i do not actually yes i was sending you this i was yes, on tumblr when this was popular so i like i definitely like saw stuff about tokyo ghoul but i never watched it i wasn't really yeah like yeah. i'm looking at stuff on google images right now and there's like the white hair dude with the freaky mask like i yeah. definitely remember seeing him on tumblr but uh yeah. yeah i never watched this one um but yeah, I was obsessed with this show. I think there's a, a lot of reasons why. I think it's because it's like a, almost like a dark shonen. Um, you have an extremely morally conflicted main character who's like forced to do things that are like bad. Like he's he's a cannibal and not by choice. And that sucks. And like what happens if you in order to live, you have to like eat other people like that's Ugh, a real yeah. fucking bad deal. And yeah, I, I, was, I was just very interested in, in the themes of the anime as a teenager. I so the that manga has like 15 or so volumes. It's a pretty short series, I guess. Um and then there's a sequel series to that manga. Mm-hmm. But um when the anime of Tokyo Ghoul came out um they made the first season. It was really successful. Mm-hmm. And then they decided to do they decided to like do a different storyline with the anime. And it was, like, really, really bad. And so I stopped watching it. And so my plan is to just, like, ignore the anime and just read the manga. Because apparently the manga oh, wow. is really great. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> that's that's what I've been doing. Did you know that there's a Tokyo Ghoul video game? Is there? It's called Tokyo Ghoul colon R-E open bracket call to exist. Call and exist are in all caps and then closing bracket. Steam says that it's a 
It's an action game in which players assume the role of Ken Kaneki, blah, 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 third-person perspective. You battle ghouls and boss characters in frenetic combat. Uh, It says it's a co-op survival game that lets you experience the world of Tokyo Ghoul. Oh, wow. So it's like a video game version of the anime? Yeah, it looks like it's on PlayStation, too. So, I don't know. Make make note of that, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Um... That's that cool though. I I never got into Tokyo Ghoul. I'm. I guess you must be enjoying it if you're enjoying it enough to like return to it. But yeah. yeah, I was just. I really love the first arc of that series, and I just like never watched or read anything behind beyond mm. that. And so now I'm like, no, I want to finish it. That's cool. So hmm. that's where I'm at. Cool. Is that everything we got this week? Yeah, that's pretty much what we have. All right, uh, Tori. Where can people find you on the internet? You can find me at Tori underscore as underscore always. I'm on Twitter at Noah underscore Hertz, spelled H-U-R-T-S. The podcast is on Twitter at press underscore start pod. We're also on Tumblr at press hyphen start pod. Um, like I said last time, been having lots of fun with our Tumblr. Uh, big things, big things coming with our Tumblr. Um, you can email the show if you have anything you want to add or if you want to tell us where you fall in the Final Fantasy alignment chart at heypressstart at gmail.com. Special shout out to the musical stinger and little bit in the middle there from the band Expert Timing. Those guys are from Florida, so extra special shout out because we're a couple of Florida men here as well. That was their track Special Hell, and I will put links in the description for their band camp and all that stuff too. Our show art is by Kai at Wisp Graphics. Our sound effects and intro and outro music are from the artist Geist. More of their stuff's at noahgeist.bandcamp.com. All of the news is free range, sourced by us, and I produce the show. And I think that's everything. Tori, any closing thoughts? Um, are you still thinking about the rabbits over there? Yeah, stay, stay safe out there. Stand rabbits, not minions. There you go. There you go. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for listening. Press start. The podcast where we don't say dumb shit.